Happy New Year. So if the text sounded familiar and if Heidi's comment that Aaron is preaching on Sabbath sounds familiar, it's because in November I did part one of this talk. So I'm not giving the same talk, giving part two. Um, I'm curious if you can remember back that far, who was here for part one of this talk? It was a small group, a couple, three, four. Okay, so like about half of us, and it's a small group again, which is good. Um, I like that. I'm still getting comfortable up here. Um, but thank you. That helps me. Okay, <clears throat> quickly, before we begin, just for fun, um, a bit of church calendar trivia for you. Except for Brian Moon and my wife, because I told her, who knows what today is on the liturgical calendar? Hence all the candles and everything. Dan thinks he knows. Epiphany? Today is the Feast of, of the Epiphany. Um, which, if you don't know, in the tradition of Western Christianity, commemorates, commemorates the visit of the Magi, or the wise men, or the three kings, um, to, to the Christ child, as sort of the you know, end of the nativity story. Although it's not really at the nativity, it's a little later, it's at a house. Um, but this also represents the revelation of the Jewish Messiah to the Gentiles, for the first time and shows them being included in this story um, so of course there's the traditional church calendar there's the season of advent which is the four weeks leading up to Christmas that we just came through Brian just preached through that we're all pretty familiar with that then there's the Christmas season which is actually traditionally 12 days hence the old carol the 12 days of Christmas um, which ended yesterday by the way um, followed by the epiphany season which is today starts today uh, because you're all dying to know, popular epiphany customs include epiphany singing, chalking your door with the numbers of the new year and a house blessing, eating three kings cake, so I hope somebody made some of that for our after party, um, winter swimming is a thing, not bad in Southern California, but would be more fun some other places, um, and church services. It's also customary for Christians in many localities to remove their Christmas decorations on Epiphany Eve, the 12th day of Christmas, um, and the final night of Christmas last night. And according to this tradition, those who fail to remove their Christmas decorations on Epiphany Eve must leave them up untouched until the Feast of Candlemas on February 2nd, <laughs> which is the end of the Epiphany season. So our tree was still up this morning. Laura is no respecter of traditions, and so our tree is down now. I'm not talking about Epiphany today, but I am talking about a traditionally Jewish practice and its modern-day application to us Gentiles as followers of Jesus. And um, this will be the last of our talks from our prior message series, which was titled Living as Disciples of Jesus in Los Angeles. This is the mission and purpose and heartbeat of Mercytown Church. That's why we exist as a community together. Uh, being a disciple of Jesus, one way to look at it entails doing three things. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing the things that Jesus did. Now, Sabbath is just one of the disciplines or one of the practices or one of the ways that aids us in our journey to do these things. It's one of the primary ways we eliminate hurry from our life and slow down to be with Jesus. In my last talk, we covered 
the biblical basis and conception of Sabbath in that message. I talked a lot about the why of Sabbath. Um, I attempted to set forth a compelling vision of, of why engage with this gift of the Sabbath that God gives us. Um, which I think engaging with the why is always the right place to start. Um, so if this sounds interesting or compelling to you, please do go, go back and listen to that first um, talk as it lays the foundation for today, which is more about application. I also confessed in the last talk that this is not something I'm good at. Um, it's something I've read a lot about and that we are assessing, and that is kind of on our list, not of a resolution for the new year, but on the radar of something we want to incorporate into our lives as my, in terms of my family. So here's where I'm going today. Um, today I'm going to flesh out some more practical nuts and bolts application of what keeping Sabbath might look like in the particulars of our own lives, given our time and place, given our seasons of life, given our own unique personalities. Um, I'm going to briefly summarize some of talk one. I'm going to offer up some principles for keeping Sabbath. I'm going to talk through what are some things to include on your Sabbath? What are some things to exclude on your Sabbath? And then maybe give some real life examples of what this might look like. <clears throat> Last time, we looked at Genesis 1 and 2. We saw that in the narrative of the story of creation, God himself models a rhythm of work and rest. But from the outside, from the outset, the Sabbath is God's idea. We saw that God blessed the Sabbath and he made it holy. He blessed it, meaning it's a day ordained to recreate, refill, and replenish humankind who has been made in his image. Holy means it is a day set apart for God to inhabit and for us to encounter him. We looked at Exodus 16 where we saw that the Sabbath day is a day for rest and for worship. If we're going to observe a holy Sabbath to the Lord, this can be our filter for the activities that we choose on this day. Is it rest? And is it worship? We saw in this same chapter that the Sabbath is called both a command and a gift. Let's look at Exodus 20. This is um, from the Ten Commandments given in Mount Sinai. This is the fourth commandment. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work. Skipping down a little. It says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The command here to keep Sabbath is grounded in the way that it imitates God in his own pattern of work and rest in creation. Let's look at Deuteronomy 5. Again, this is all recap. Um, this is a retelling or a recasting of the Ten Commandments um, as, the, as Israel is about to enter the Promised Land. The beginning is the same. It says, observe the Sabbath day instead of remember the Sabbath day. But the reason that it gives is a little, actually quite a bit different. It says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So here, the commandment to keep Sabbath is grounded in Israel's liberation from slavery in the land of Egypt. It's grounded in their new identity as a free people. 
Slaves have no choice but to work and to meet whatever demands are placed upon them by their masters, but free people can choose rest. Then we turn to Jesus in Mark 2 and Mark 3, and we saw his emphasis on the Sabbath as a gift. He calls it a day to do good, a day to save life, a day for healing and restoration. He concludes that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The point, I think, is that not that mankind is to be confined and limited by Sabbath regulation, but rather that the Sabbath is given as a gift to mankind, that Sabbath was made, thought up, designed, intended for human flourishing, for necessary rhythm of physical and spiritual refreshment that comes from a proper pattern of rest and worship. And so we concluded that even if Sabbath keeping is not a binding command today for followers of Jesus, the principle and the spirit of the law still stands. It is a day that is holy and blessed. It is a day for rest and worship, a holy Sabbath to the Lord, and a Sabbath made for man's benefit as well. This gift of Sabbath remains for us an invitation from our creator to his creation formed in his image to work because God worked and to rest because God rested. It remains as an invitation to us from our Redeemer to his redeemed ones because we are his free people. Today, moving into application. So if you missed it, that's the crash course on the why. So what to do? Take a Sabbath. Observe a day of rest and worship. Ideally one day out of every week and build this rhythm into your life as one of the practices of following Jesus. When to do it? Whenever works for you. Every seventh day. Sunday seems a natural day as a day of rest and worship. The early church began to observe their day of rest and worship on the day that Jesus rose from the dead so that the Lord's day preserved the principle of Sabbath. But there's freedom to be creative and flexible to suit your, cir- your specific circumstances and still honor the spirit of Sabbath. What does it look like? This will depend somewhat on your own personality and your makeup, your season of life, ultimately what is restful and restorative to you. But I want to offer some help and some ideas. Um, first, I want to talk through briefly four principles of what thinking through Sabbath, um, what what constitutes a biblical and a helpful Sabbath. This is mostly from Pete Scazzaro and his Emotionally Healthy Church material. Um, But think of Sabbath in terms of these things. Number one, we stop. We cease from our work and from our striving. We stop those activities that consume energy and fill us with worry. On Sabbath, I embrace my limits as a gift. God is God. He is indispensable. I am his creature. The world continues working fine when I stop. I wanted to read one excerpt from his book. He says, We stop on Sabbath because God is on the throne, assuring us the world will not fall apart if we cease our activities. Life on this side of heaven is an unfinished symphony. We accomplish one goal, 
and then immediately we are confronted with new opportunities and challenges. But immediately, ultimately, we will die with countless unfinished projects and goals. That's okay. Kind of depressing, maybe, but that's okay. God is at work taking care of the universe. He manages quite well without us having to run things. When we are sleeping, he is working. So he commands us to relax, to enjoy the fact that we are not in charge of the world, that even when we, when we die, the world will continue on nicely without us. Every Sabbath reminds us to be still and know that he is God and to stop worrying about tomorrow. The core spiritual issue in stopping revolves around trust. Will God take care of us and our concerns if we obey him by stopping and observing the Sabbath? The second component is rest. So instead of work, which we set aside, we rest. We do what recreates us and replenishes us. We rest from the things that don't. We respect our humanity. Number three, delight. When God finishes his work of creation, he proclaimed it as good, and he took delight in it. Likewise, we take the time to actually receive joy and receive pleasure, to enjoy and delight in God's good creation and God's good gifts and the people around us. We slow down and pay attention. We notice the things that we would miss if we're in a hurry. And fourthly, worship. The Sabbath is always holy to the Lord. Being present and available to God should remain the central focus of Sabbath in all else that we do on that day. We experience in Sabbath a sampling of something greater that awaits us when we will enter an eternal Sabbath rest in God's perfect presence. Now taking these as our guiding principles, I want to turn to some ideas of four things to exclude and three things to include in your Sabbath. Number one, obvious, work. Think about what constitutes work for you and commit not to doing those things on the Sabbath. Put aside this drive for productivity, for activism. Put aside the physical exhaustion, the multitasking, the errands, the perpetual catching up, and the to-do list. Exclude buying and selling. The world of commerce functions on this basis of enticing us to believe that we need more, and we need better, and we need it now. So, can we choose to put aside the commercialism and the consumerism and the envy and the discontent on our Sabbath? Thirdly, exclude worry and hurry. There are more kinds of work than just physical labor. There's the mental and emotional work and stress. Put aside these things that cause stress in order to rest mentally and emotionally as well. Consider deferring hard conversations that need to be had. Consider deferring major decision-making. Do it another day of the week. And number four, technology. Exclude technology from your Sabbath. Put aside those things that we use to distract ourselves and to entertain ourselves and potentially to medicate ourselves and to escape from real life. 
easier Sabbath to press in to real life? Frankly, most of us are addicted to our phones and to entertainment. So put aside the smartphones, the video games, the social media, the tablets, and the Netflix for your Sabbath. So here's three things to include. Resting the body. Think about activities that you find restorative. A nap, a walk, a bath, getting outside, observing nature, eating delicious food. Foods that make you feel good after you eat them, not just while you're eating them. (laughs) Secondly, replenish the spirit. Include activities that renew you and bring you joy. This could be reading if you're an extreme introvert like me. Um, This could be some creative outlet. This could be a conversation or a connection with a friend over coffee if you're a little more extroverted. And thirdly, restoring the soul. Remember to include activities that foster worship and reflection and contemplation. Again, I love those words as an introvert. Maybe harder for some other people. Um, Worship in community. Set aside time for scripture, prayer, silence, solitude. Some of these other disciplines we've been talking about. This is one way to carve out space to actually do these things. Rest and feast in God's presence. Of course there are challenges, right? One is the mindset that we might have and that our culture might bring to this idea. Sabbath is a gift that has largely been lost in our time and in our culture and even in some streams of the church. It's frankly un-American. It's foreign to this culture that highly values being productive and being busy and that finds its identity in accomplishment and accumulation. Another challenge, ingrained habits. It's just not easy to start a new practice. And for all that Sabbath offers to us, it is also a demanding discipline. It's an art form. It's learning something new and different and something that will take time to unfold and to grow into and to figure out and to dial in. Another challenge, withdrawal symptoms. Starting the practice of Sabbath at first may leave you feeling worse disoriented or grouchy or on edge. We are addicted to accomplishment and accumulation and amusement. And setting these, aside, setting these things aside may lead us to an experience like having withdrawals from the drug of always needing to do more and be more, the drug of constantly being entertained and distracted. The last challenge, which I think has been largely holding me back from more fully implementing this practice is that it takes a lot of forethought and preparation to pull this off. It's been said that the quality of an occasion and the benefit of a discipline is often determined by the amount of preparation that goes into it. The Jewish people traditionally had a day of preparation, a whole day. This was the day before the Sabbath to get ready. Observing Sabbath requires adequate preparation be made in order to be free to rest and worship. It means planning ahead and getting things done beforehand. 
I mentioned some of these last week, but finishing chores, paying bills, answering emails, shopping, preparing meals, cleaning the house, doing laundry, planning your week. These are all things that will need to get done on a different day of the week if you're not going to do them on the Sabbath. Or, alternatively, some of them will remain unfinished. And that's okay. For us to keep Sabbath, it will likely mean that our paid work has certain boundaries and that our evenings and our one remaining day is used to accomplish these other things that really need done. It means coordinating with our spouse or our kids or our families or our roommates to be on the same page. It will mean courageous decisions need to be made about work and extracurriculars and sports and community involvement. Ultimately, about priorities. It's largely true that you can have anything you want. You just can't have everything you want. So decide what is it you really want, what really leads to flourishing for yourself and your family and your community. To get a little more nitty-gritty, this is how it might look. I first did a little bit of research on the traditional Jewish Sabbath practices. I was just kind of interested, and I think I just scratched the surface, but here's a couple of things I learned. Um, the Jewish Sabbath began at dusk with the appearance of the first stars and went until the following evening at the same time. It was actually 25 hours long, one place that I read. Um, it was ushered in by a ceremony of lighting two candles, which served as symbols of the two injunctions that we read, one to remember the Sabbath and two to observe the Sabbath Alternatively, they remind us of the two grounds from which we observe Sabbath as a, a response to God's work in creation and God's work in redemption. The Sabbath meal was then served, and the Kiddush, a traditional prayer of blessing and praise, was recited over a cup of wine. So don't give up the wine on the Sabbath. Good news. Unless it makes you feel terrible. Sabbath observance also included attendance at the synagogue for worship and prayer as a community. And of course, no work was done on the Sabbath. And there were great debates about what is work and what isn't work and what you can do and what you can't do. And that's where you can fall into um, legalism that we want to avoid. In our modern context, our Sabbath may look something like this. Here's, a, here's an itinerary. Just an example, just brainstorming some things to think about, some things I'm thinking about. Consider starting your Sabbath at sundown and observing it until sundown the next day, similar to the Jewish pattern. Power down the electronics, get off social media, put the phones and the devices in a drawer and lock it. Consider lighting these candles. My kids would love that. They'd kick off, you know, Sabbath. Um, light these two candles to reserve, to remember and observe. Read a, read a psalm or recite a short liturgy to start your meal. Pour wine, break bread, celebrate the Lord's Supper as a family. Pray for God's presence. 
pray that God would inhabit the day and that you would encounter him there. Then linger over a good Sabbath meal. Maybe it's takeout. Maybe you made it beforehand. But either way, you got ready. Eat delicious food. Make it festive. Make it fun. Hang out over the meal. Relax. Talk. Laugh. Look each other in the eye. Take time. Don't rush through the meal to the next thing because there's really nothing else you have to go do. Go around the table and talk about a highlight of the week. Think of some way to engage your kids and get them talking. After dinner, put the dishes in the sink and don't wash them. Just leave them there. I think Brian does this, right? I like that idea. Every day. <laughs> exactly. They pile up. Then do something to connect. Play a game. Create art. Read together. Go to bed early if you can convince your kids or get them down. Sleep in again, hopefully. Start the day in the scriptures. Set this expectation for each person in the family. So use a picture Bible or an early reader Bible or a kid's devotional as appropriate. But try to carve out some time so that everybody has this rhythm of being in the scriptures. For your other Sabbath meals, here's some ideas. Share a big, share a big brunch. Make it later. So basically you're making one meal this, you know, instead of two that day. Or I read somewhere else, share an afternoon, afternoon tea. Little bites and a kettle of tea to keep it simple. Very yeah, very British. South African too. <laughs> Spend the day unhurried. Take a nap, read a novel, connect with a friend over coffee. Go for a bike ride or a walk or a run or a hike. Bake something if you like to do that. Create something, craft, quilt, recite poetry, make music, sing together, dance together. Have you ever heard dancing called full body vulnerability? <laughs> that's, another, that's another talk. Pay attention, be present, notice things, notice the aroma and the flavor of your food, notice that twig or that leaf or that bug or that tree that your kids are so good at noticing if you have kids. <clears throat> Look for the image of God and its many manifestations in each person that you encounter. And if Sunday is your Sabbath, bring that same mindset of being present and paying attention and being unhurried. Bring it with you to community worship. Some of you just might be thinking, this all sounds great, but I have young children. I certainly feel that way. Here are some ideas specifically for those of you and for me that have young kids. I'm not sure if they'll work, but let's see. Set out especially at simple breakfast the night before, something that your oldest child can fix for themselves and maybe help the little ones too as well. Set out a special box of Sabbath toys or games that are set aside only for this day of the week. 
sets the day apart for your kids. And maybe you'll get to sleep in a little bit longer. Consider leftovers or frozen meals that were prepared earlier in the week so you don't have to think about what to make or make involved meals. Consider using paper plates if your conscience permits such a thing. Think bigger than just what brings rest to me. Rather think, what brings rest to our whole family together? Take the kids to a park where they can run and play and ride bikes. What's engaging for them will probably be more restful for you. Consider meeting with another family that has young kids so they can play together. Consider trading off with your spouse for a window of a few hours of silence and solitude. See your children through the Sabbath eyes of enjoyment. Since you've set aside all your work for the day, you can actually be fully present with your kids. You can actually learn from them how to play and delight and wonder and pay attention to simple things. I also read, if you have older children, intentionally observing Sabbath becomes even more difficult because at that point they have demands on them just like you have demands on you. So it's something to start while your kids are young if you want to disciple them in this practice. I'm almost done. Um, There are a couple other sort of broader topics that you could think about um, applying these Sabbath principles to some other applications. It's interesting, in addition to the weekly Sabbath days, the Old Testament law also called for Sabbath years. One year in every seven, the people of Israel were to give the land a Sabbath of rest. This required them to trust God for his provision. That whatever they had harvested in the sixth year would be enough for them for two years. I wish I could say that you could take off work every seven years and just have yourself a grand old sabbatical. (laughs) It's probably not reality. Um, But consider the following. Consider taking a personal spiritual retreat for for a day or two, once a quarter, once a year. Consider a Sabbath vacation. Think about how you could apply these same principles of stop, rest, delight, worship to structure your family's own vacation time, or at least a part of it. And consider what a Sabbath year might look like in a modern context. After a number of years of collecting various responsibilities and extracurriculars and hobbies and commitments, maybe intentionally cut all these out and simplify your life back to the essentials for one year. As with a weekly Sabbath, this kind of thing would require preparation and planning to pull this off well, but it may be a great way to reset necessary margin in your life. And I'll conclude here. It's been said that if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. 
Practicing Sabbath is one of the ways we intentionally eliminate hurry, slow down, make space, and cultivate a life in God's presence. If it sounds like something you may want to put into practice, make a plan and try one. Try one Sabbath. Maybe start doing this once a month. Put it on the calendar. Work up from there. And as you start to engage in this kind of practice, reflect on how it's going, make adjustments, be creative, and continue to experiment and share your successes with each other. How's it going? Let's help each other with this. And remember this. This is all invitation. Even Paul says in Colossians 2, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival, like Epiphany, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. But I would ask you, why not enjoy now even that shadow, the foretaste of this perfect Sabbath to come? I was remembering that Alan Frau was actually here a couple years ago talking about Sabbath, and he, um, he put it this way. Don't be enslaved by Sabbath legalism. This is not a have to in order to gain God's favor. But on the other token, please don't neglect this gift of Sabbath rhythm. This is a get to because we are made in God's image and because we are set free as God's people. Lord, have mercy on us and empower us as we receive um, anything you want to say to us today. And as we consider the gift of Sabbath and what that might mean for us as your followers, would you just show us what you require of us? And um, yeah, just give us wisdom and courage to follow you, to make space for you in this new year. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.